0: Uh, you know some some New Testament some books of the Bible you you kind of have to figure out okay why why is this recorded for us but John makes it very clear under the inspiration of God's Spirit why he wrote these things and he tells us at the very end of his book why he wrote everything he did and it says in John chapter twenty verse thirty one and this is, should be on the screen these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in His name. So John writes about Christ and he wants us to see who Jesus is and he wants us to see Christ and all that he's done and all that he's taught and, and, and hear everything and to see his life so that we might believe in him and have life in his name. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But either way, whether you're able to join us next week or not, we're honored that you're here today and we're thankful for that. It is It is. I hope that you've already been warmly welcomed by our church family and you continue to be so. If you are a guest, you should have received a welcome packet when you came in. And so if you didn't, there are these folks with these blue lanyards and please find one of them afterwards and they can they can uh, have a little gift for you today. Uh, but our, our name Baraka is, I know, one that you probably would struggle to spell if this was a spelling bee. But it's a Hebrew word and it's an English translation of a Hebrew word which means blessing. And it really is our sincere desire to be a blessing to this community. And as God has blessed us, this community has been a blessing to us. We've been here for almost fifty years now, and and uh, and we're thankful for this immediate neighborhood and for this larger community. And we want to be uh, really a light for service in this community. And and I pray that we will be. But John, Gospel of John, we love this book, the Bible. This is we believe this is the most important book in the world. It's not just a dead religious letter or or book. This is God's living and active word. He speaks to us through it. And so God has seen fit to preserve His word through us in these, to us in these pages. And so for the next several minutes, we're going to give careful attention to what He says here in a few verses from the Gospel of John. So we'll start in verse 16. Just, just so you know, again, because we've been working our way through John, you stepping in today, maybe as a, as a guest, the, the context is Jesus is gathered in this second story room in Jerusalem about 2,000 years ago with his closest friends and followers. And, 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 it, and he knows that his death is imminent. The death, the crucifixion of Christ that we've been singing about, he knows that's, that's coming right away. In fact, Jesus is speaking these words on a Thursday night uh, late into the evening on Thursday night, he'll be, he'll be arrested about 1 a.m. on Friday morning and crucified that same day. And so, this is the end of his life, and so the time is urgent. His followers are scared, and they're confused, and Jesus knows this. As Jesus is telling them what's about to happen, they're frightened. And so, we pick it up in verse 16. Into that context, Jesus says to these scared disciples, huddled together with Jesus in the upper room, he says, a little while, and you will see me no longer. And then again, a little while, and you will see me. Now you see me, now you don't, but you're going to see me again. So some of his disciples, verse 17, said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father, that's something we looked at a few weeks ago. Jesus told them that. Verse 18, so they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. So the disciples have this little side conversation going on. They're not talking to Jesus, they're they're talking to one another. Whether there's Jesus had a little break in his teaching or whether this is kind of under their breath and they're just whispering to one another. But they're confused. They have no idea what Christ is talking about. And, and, and so, what does he mean by a little while? How how long is a little while? Where's Jesus going? When's he going to come back? There's the questions there. So it's very unsettling for them. They they've, they've left everything to follow Jesus, and and now they sense that something very bad is about to happen. And so they're talking among themselves. They're kind of pulling their ignorance here. What what are you what are you thinking? What is he saying here? Verse 19. Jesus knew what they wanted to ask him but they didn't so he said to them is this what you're asking yourselves what i meant by saying a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me truly truly i say to you you will weep and lament but the world will rejoice you will be sorrowful but your sorrow will turn into joy When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask anything of Me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father, in my in my name he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Now for those who are of the PC, personal computer generation, and the flip phone generation, that's my generation, what, kind of what I grew up with, um, you know about emoticons. Uh, if you're of the smartphone generation, uh, or if you're of the typewriter generation, let me explain. Emoticons where we had this little small time of life, and you've probably seen these, where you would use punctuation marks to make the, yeah, there's some on the screen here. These little you know, uh, facial expressions that were to communicate how you were feeling. Those are the only three that I could remember. I know there are a bunch, uh, but that I, I, I was all I could off the top of my head. Because those have now been replaced by emojis, right? And if you don't know what emojis are and you think I'm speaking in tongues or something, this is, this is examples here. And you've probably seen these on your phone. In, in texting or social media, this is kind of what's replaced the emoticon. You can, you can post these little uh, cartoon faces that express how what you just read makes you feel. So you get a text and you can respond with the, or you get a, something on some post on Facebook or uh, Instagram and you can respond with a little emoji, happy face, sad face, you know, embarrassed, frustrated, angry. I, Some of them I have no idea what, what they even mean. This little upside down smiley face, I have no, if it's obscene or something like that, forgive me, I, I honestly have no idea when that's appropriate to use. Um, the, the one that has been a game changer for me is the thumbs up sign. I use that all the time. Anybody else? Okay. All right. That just is shortened, made my life a lot simpler. Um, But these but our emotions, we know this. Our emotions are certainly more complex than than a few punctuation marks or little yellow uh cartoon faces can possibly express, right? We understand this. But but one thing that our use of emojis does show is how quickly our feelings can change. So you can you can have a happy face, a sad face, a nervous face, an angry face, all within a few text messages. And and and, and you see this change. But beyond those casual kind of mood swings and of, of social media and those kinds of things, there are there are real deep struggles and joys you experience, right? Maybe you're here and you are deeply sorrowful today, or you have been recently. Maybe uh because of a troubled relationship. Or maybe because of health problems or financial difficulties or some other challenge in your life. There's real deep sorrow. But maybe you're here and and there's there's profound happiness. Or you have been recently, maybe you got a promotion at work. Maybe there's a new baby or a grandbaby. Or uh, maybe you're just so excited that the Braves won their home opener or something like that. That's not very deep and profound joy. But uh, but you you see, there's... There, there, we have these, 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 these real significant, strong feelings. And as we looked, as we read this passage just a moment ago, there are these, there are these emotive words, emotionally charged words in the verses we just read. Not little teary or smiling emojis, but real deep, profound sorrow and joy. And, 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 and Jesus says something here that's truly profound. And I, I hope you caught it. It's in verse 22. There are several things that are profound. But He says there's a kind of joy that no one can take from you. This lasting, enduring joy that cannot be robbed. Robbed. The kind of, this kind of joy that, that never ends that he wants for you, he describes as a full joy. He says this a few times in, in this upper room discourse. He prays in the next chapter, in chapter 17 verse 13, he, he prays that, that we might have this, this, that his joy made full in us. And so he doesn't want us to be a quarter full of joy. He doesn't want us to be seven eighths full of joy. He wants us to, to have full joy. That doesn't mean we're always smiling and always giggling and everything's just funny and we have no we're not affected by any of the real trials of life. That's not that's not what he's saying. There will be times of, of enormous sadness and grief and loss, and those are real. And we find this in our Lord Himself. Jesus wept on occasions. He wept when Lazarus died. He wept he wept over the condition of the city of Jerusalem and the souls of the people there. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, t- talks about that we're to rejoice with those who, re- who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. He described him own, his own self as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Interesting. Sorrowful, but always rejoicing. A joy that no one can take away. So, so this, this unstoppable joy isn't kind of a fickle emoji type of joy. It's a deep, abiding, contented joy That infuses every other feeling that we experience. And this lasting full joy is possible we see because Christ died and rose again. And so it's this kind of joy that we see in the transformed followers of Christ. These same guys who are in this upper room with Jesus and they're scared out of their minds and they're full of doubts and they're full of questions and they're confused and they, they just are, they're just at, at wits end. The same guys, after Jesus dies and raises again and they see Him, they're transformed into these courageous witnesses for Christ. And so when the we get into the book of Acts and when the Jewish leaders they in Jerusalem they've they've beaten these men for preaching about Christ crucified and risen from the dead, it says in Acts chapter five, forty one that they went on their way from the presence of the council after being beaten, they're bloodied, they went on their way, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. That too that that kind of courageous never-ending deep-seated joy can be yours also. And that's what we see in this passage. And so we're going to we're going to look at the this outrageous joy of the resurrection and just three things are on the screen here. It's a transformed joy, it's a permanent joy, and it's a full joy. First, it's a transformed joy. Verse 20. Verse 20 says tr- Jesus says, Tru- "Truly, truly, I say to you, or I, I solemnly tell you the truth. Please get this. That's what he's, he, he's wanting them to understand. You can take this to the bank. You will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. He's referring to his death here. His followers, these men, will weep. They will wail. They will lament out of a deep and anguished sense of loss when Jesus dies. But the world... I and mean, what he means by world is that, that unbelieving world that's hostile to Christ, that opposes Him, they will think they've won. They will think good riddance. They'll be celebrating the death of Jesus. And that's exactly what happens. Those same people that were, were wanting Jesus dead, and those religious leaders in the crowds that were shouting for His crucifixion, they're, they're thankful. He's gone. We're done with this Jesus guy. But that's not the end. He goes on, "You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy." You will be sorrowful. Those days after the cross must have been just awful days for these men, as Jesus was in the tomb. They, they, they thought it was over. Everything was done. Everything they all their hopes were dashed. There was real, deep, intense sorrow, but it was temporary. He says, your sorrow will turn into joy. Their deep sorrow will be transformed into joy. He doesn't simply say that your your sorrow, your grief, it's going to, it's going to be replaced by joy in some sequential sense. Like, after sadness, there will be joy. That's not, that's not his point. But, that, but the, the very reason uh, for their grief will be transformed and turned into a reason for joy. So you see the difference. Let me just illustrate it. You, your let's just say your child leaves his bike outside at night and some kid's in the neighborhood or somebody steals the bike out of the front yard. It's gone. Your child's devastated. As a kid, a bike's everything, right? You got freedom. You got wheels to cruising on the neighborhood. The bike's gone. Your child's crushed. He's sorrowful. And so you, I'm not advocating this parenting method, but you just say, you you see your kid, he's in a pool of tears. You say, you want to cheer him up. So he says, son, let's, let's go to Chuck E. Cheese's. Let's go down and we'll have pizza and play games. And so you go down there. He's happy. You're poor. But, uh, but again, sorrow was sorrow. Now there's joy. It's just, it's just distraction, right? But that's not what he's talking about here. Uh, consider another example. You, your firstborn son or daughter graduate high school and they're getting ready to go off to college out of state. First person in your family to ever go to college. And and so you're standing out there. You're hugging his or her neck, and you're you're weeping. You don't you don't want to see them go. You're you're sad to say goodbye to them, and you're you you can't even imagine what it's going to be like in the house with them gone and so far away, hundreds of miles away. And so you're sad. And then you have this realization: of what this means? They're going to college. This is everything I've hoped for. Everything I've been praying for. My son. And 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 all his dreams, he has an opportunity to really pursue those dreams, and this is just this is just wonderful. And so the very thing that was a a, a source of sorrow now is transformed into a source of joy, with a different perspective. And so what Jesus is saying here is the source of mourning, the cross, the, the the passion of Jesus Christ, all of his sufferings, it it becomes a source of exaltation after the resurrection. It's transformed joy. I, I'm trying to illustrate this, but Jesus does a much better job. That's what He does in verse 21. He's, he gives an illustration of what He's trying to say. Verse 21, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow. She has anxiety because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So the delivery process and the anticipation of it is intensely painful. you mom's need me to talk to you about this, right? I know all about this, right? You guys you just don't understand how hard the delivery process is for dads. No, I'm just kidding. You know, we got to get ice chips all the time and got a, you know, cool washcloth on the head. It's really difficult. No. I don't want you to start throwing things at me. Um, but but you take this illustration and I I'm not trying to make some comparison, but you remember there are no pain suppressing measures in this day. Uh, is this the, the intense pain of childbirth is what's in view. And so when mom's in labor, she's in awful pain. And the cause of her pain is that baby trying to make its way through her birth canal. And so you, you know, at least you see this in movies. Get it out of me! You know, <laughs> and there's, this, there's this fight almost with what's happening and with this child that's causing so much pain. But what happens? The baby's born. Oh, you gaze with wonder at this face. This love of this child. And after a little while, now it doesn't seem like a little while in the moment, I realize, moms, but the very thing again that caused you excruciating pain is now the object of your intense joy. And, 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 and this is what Jesus is referring to. The, the, the pain, the loss of birth isn't a loss at all. It's, it's tremendous gain. And so Jesus point: the very thing that will cause His disciples, His followers, overwhelming grief and anxiety and and sorrow, seeing Jesus suffer on the cross, will be the very source of their unending joy after the resurrection. And so forever we'll be singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And so Jesus tells His disciples, You look at My death like it's a birth. Yes, I'm dying. This will be a painful experience for you. But in a little while, you will see Me again, and your sorrow will be transformed into joy. And so joy comes from this transformed view of the cross. Seeing it in light of the empty tomb. Because we see Jesus alive. Because, And so we look back and we see what Christ accomplished there. We see that He paid the debt of our sins. Took our place. Took our punishment on that cross. We can see all that through the, the empty tomb. So it's a it's a transformed joy. Second, it's a permanent joy. It's a joy that no one can take away. Verse 22. So also you have sorrow now. He means, again, after his death, it's just right around the corner in a matter of hours. But I will see you again. Or I will rise from the dead and I will come to you. I will seek you out. I'm going to see you face to face. You will see me. I will see you. And your hearts will rejoice. And that's exactly what happens. We can look in the Gospel accounts and see just over and over this very thing happening on on that first Easter Sunday. It happens first to Mary Magdalene. We we read this at the beginning of the service. Um, And so she's in the garden. She's weeping. She's distraught. She thinks the body of her Lord has been taken away and she doesn't know where it is. And So she's just sobbing. And then suddenly Jesus comes to her. Speaks to her. And she turns and sees Him through tears. And she falls down and she worships Him. (laughs) Sorrow to joy. And what does she do? She runs and tells the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Seeing Him, it changed everything. In John 20, verse 20, Jesus came to His followers and and, and showed them his hands and showed them his side, and the text says that the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Luke says that when they saw Jesus after the resurrection, the, 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 word, the wording he uses is, they disbelieved for joy." It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? What he means is, they, they had so much joy in seizing, seeing Jesus again, they could hardly believe it. it was that enormous? And so verse 22, This again, this, we see the fulfillment of this throughout the Gospels. You also have sorrow now. I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. And then come these amazing words, and no one will take your joy from you. Joy that cannot be stolen, cannot be lost. is sure, firm, strong, uh, solid, lasting, irrevocable, permanent, whatever you want to say there. Everything in, around you may give way, but this joy will last. And it can. And the key to this lasting joy, again, is seeing Jesus. It's the resurrection that opened this up. You know, it's interesting. As, you, as we see all this anticipation to Jesus' death, and the disciples are sorrowful, and they're, they're dreading this day that's coming, and they're, they're confused by it, and all, it's just, they're just undone with grief. And they're troubled about the anticipation of Jesus' death. But after Jesus suffers and dies, they write the New Testament, these books that we call, the make up the New Testament. And you know what? They speak, they speak nothing about that sorrow and distress actually during those three days when Jesus was dead. They don't even talk about it. You know it was enormous. Jesus says you're going to weep, you're going to lament, you're going to mourn. And, 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 but they don't write, they don't write at all about how awful they felt. They don't, how distraught they were, how hard those few days were for them. You just wouldn't believe what it was like during those two or three days when, when Jesus was in the tomb. We thought he was gone, we thought it was all over. They don't even mention it. Oh, because, why? Because their temporary sorrow is radically transformed into this lasting joy from the resurrection. It's this enduring joy. The the joy of the risen Jesus completely overshadows that temporal sorrow that they experienced for those few days. And they, it's just a, it's just passing. They don't even give it any passing reference. And when they, when they do speak about Jesus' death, and they speak about it a lot, they don't talk about how hard it was for them. They speak about it, they don't speak about it with any sense of regret like, ah, I wish it didn't have to happen that way. Oh, I wish there was, a, I wish it wouldn't have gone down like that. No. The thing that they dreaded before, the thing they, they, they least wanted to happen is transformed into something they glory in and they have this lasting joy that just flows from it. And so it is with us. We don't get preoccupied as believers by the sorrows of the cross. Yes, we understand them and we, we had a Good Friday service, uh, this week and, and we were just contemplating the, 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 passion of Christ and the sufferings of Jesus. But even that, we're, we're not just people of Calvary, we're people of the, of the resurrection. We, we see the cross in the light of the empty tomb. And, and so the saving work of Jesus is, 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 is for us not sorrow, but is joy. We look to the cross with joy, we glory in the cross as we worship the risen King. And so this this outrageous joy of the resurrection, it's it's transformed joy, it's permanent joy, it cannot be taken from you, and the last thing we'll say is it's full joy. It's full joy. Verse twenty three He says, In that day you will ask anything, or excuse me, in that day you will ask nothing of me. I think I read that wrong earlier. But what he means is, is it will all make sense after I rise again. You're not gonna have any questions about who I am, why I came, what I what I what I accomplished. It's gonna all your questions will be done when with this exclamation point of my resurrection from the dead. It's gonna make sense. Their confusion will be over. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name, and ask though, and you will receive that your joy may be full. So do we ask or do we not ask? <laughs> Sounds a little confusing at first, doesn't it? Now, you can't see this in English, and I'm not saying you've got to have some secret decoder uh you know, glass to to, to understand this, but the, the New Testament was originally written in a different language, in the Greek language. And 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 there are there are two words for ask in the Greek language when we just have one word. So when they translate these words, they just have to say use, translate both as ask. But there are, there are two different words here in the Greek. And so, so so the first one is, in verse 23, is to ask a question. You're not going to ask any more questions. You know, you're you're going to have all the answers you need after I rise from the dead. But the second one is to ask for something. It's to make a request. It says, so once Jesus is raised, the truth questions will be answered Nothing left to ask. But then the disciples are free to ask God for all of those things that will make their joyful. It says, as you ask. And the basis of that, we'll see in verse 27, is you have a Father who loves you. And He loves you and He invites you to call upon Him and, and to pray to Him and ask and make requests of Him. Those things that would honor Him And all of this allows us to have what Jesus most wants for us and what He prays for us and He's praying for you today, even now, is that you will have joy that's full. Full joy. And He invites us, He invites you to know that joy today. All of us. He wants this joy, He wants His joy to be your joy. And His promise isn't just for these first disciples, though it's obviously... Clearly, directly for them. But it's for anyone who will see Jesus by faith. Uh, you know, I know it's easy for us to think, yes, I, I could see how that joy could be mine, but, but you know, I, yeah, if I could see Jesus. If I, if I was an eyewitness to the resurrection, then, yes, I could see how I could have that kind of joy. I was just thinking about this. But First Peter chapter 1, Peter addresses this very thing. He's writing to, to people who who were going through a very intense period of persecution. That, that Nero was this tyrant and he was a violent man and persecuting God's people. And, and he says to these that were not eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection, he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And so, and he goes on, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so, so you can have this joy without being an eyewitness of Christ. We'd have it by faith. You have believed. And so you can know this full, transforming, permanent joy in the risen Christ today. But this outrageous, life transforming, abundant, permanent. Joy is available, as I said, to everyone today and and many of you know this. The most well-known verse in the Bible, perhaps, is John 3.16. And whether you, many of you can probably quote this, but you've at least seen it on poster board at football games and written out John 3.16. And if you don't know what the verse says, let me read it to you. It says that, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him, should not perish, but have eternal life. A life of unending joy in Christ. And so this verse tells us just four things, and we're going to, I'm going to say really quickly, and then and then we'll sing once more. First thing Jesus tells us is about the danger that we're in. The, the, the bad news first. Jesus warns us about the danger of perishing. He says, whoever believes in Him and Jesus will not perish. But if I could restate that highlighting my point here of the danger, we could say unless you believe in Jesus you will perish. We are in danger of perishing. Why? What what's the problem? Well, let me just throw out what a a word that is unpleasant by considered to many and often misunderstood, and it's this word sin. Sin. We often think of sin as those really bad things, murder and adultery and those, those, those things we see on the 10 o'clock news. Those are the sins. But sin is anything we think, say, or do that displeases God and is in disobedience to His Word. And we all sin. Scripture makes that very clear. Romans 3.23 All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and no matter how big or small our sins, we're all guilty. Now, I, I don't think I have to convince you that you, you commit sins. Um, But I I may need to help you understand the danger that sin brings. And remind you of that. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. What we earn by our sin is death. Or as John 3.16 says, perishing. And so this perishing is is more than just physical death. It means means being under God's judgment, His condemnation, His wrath. As He's holy, He's perfect. He, He has to punish sin. And, and one of the most precious and sobering verses in all of Scripture is John three thirty six, and it says, "Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life." But here's the flip side: whoever does not obey the Son, does not believe in the Son, shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And so, it's, it's perishing, it's, it's death, it's, it's punishment, it's it's also everlasting. The, the opposite of eternal life is eternal punishment. and So it's death, wrath, fiery torment, and it lasts forever. I'm not trying to be Mormon. I'm not grumpy. I didn't wake up in a bad mood today or something like that. I have only love in my heart as I communicate this, as a reminder to those who have been freed from this, but as a warning to those who may not understand this danger. And, and, and that's the bad news. That's the danger. But now let's look at the good news of John 3.16. And there is good news. And it's because Christ is risen from the dead. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians fifteen eighteen that if, if Christ had not been raised from the dead, then all who have died would have perished. But, then he's quick to say, but He has been raised. And so there's, there's this good news because Jesus is raised. And that brings us to the second word, it's design. Design is that God in love has provided this way of escape from this danger. And we see it again, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So that tells us several things. One, there's a God. He does exist. Two, God has a son. And his only son. Now I realize that may be a hard pill for some of you to follow. If we if, if we have any Muslim friends in here today, I understand that you that might be a struggle for you. And and we are honored by your presence today. And we are delighted that you're with us today. And we want you to feel warmly welcome, loved, respected. And, and I hope that that's the case. But I know if, if that is where you're at, to your ears, that probably sounds like blasphemy to say that God has a son. But what, what, what he's saying is, is, to, is to say that Jesus is the only son of God means that he is fully God. And, and so, so there is a God. He has a son. And this, this God who is and who has a son, he loves if you hear nothing else today, just hear this. God loves you. He does. He so loved the world. He loves all the people of the world. Even though the world is full of sinners in danger of perishing, He loves us, not because of us, not because we're so wonderful, but He loves us in spite of us. He loves us even though He knows everything about us. He, he, he knows what you did last night, what you did last week. When nobody else was watching, he knows all the awful things you've said to others and about others. He knows the things, the evil things you've thought, and 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 the desires you have. And, and you, like me, have thought some bad stuff. And, and and we we know we're bad people, but God knows we're worse than we even realize. And yet, He still loves us. Romans five tells us that. You know, anybody can love a good man, but God shows His love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so notice God doesn 't just love us, does love the world by having warm fuzzies for us, he 's done something he 's loved us and he 's displayed it in this way. He gave his only Son. He gave His Son to live into this in the sinful, fallen world, to leave the glories of heaven, to dwell among us, literally, bodily, some 2,000 years ago, Jesus came. He gave His Son to be tempted to sin like we are, but yet never to sin. You hear that? Never to sin. He gave His Son to be rejected and to be ridiculed by the people that He made. He gave His Son to be falsely accused and arrested and beaten and ridiculed and and, and crucified. He gave His Son in this way, to this extent. It's, it's this much that He loves us. By giving His only Son to die for us. That's the kind of love God has for you today. It's relentless, it's costly, sacrificial, self-giving love. And that brings us to the third D word that this verse shows us. It's decision. How can we avoid the danger of perishing, the danger we're all born into? How can we benefit from that loving design of God that God loved us and gave His Son for us? How how can we enjoy the benefits of that? Well, he tells us it's by believing in Jesus. That's the link to God's rescuing love, faith. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever, anybody who believes in Him should not perish. And so it's only those who believe in Jesus that benefit from God's love and are rescued. It's not just a universal love where everybody gets to have eternal life and miss out on perishing. No, it's only those who believe. Your religious background won't do it. Your high IQ won't do it. Your morality won't do it. Church attendance won't do it. Some religious ritual won't do it. It's whether or not you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? It means that we believe that He died for our sins and rose again on the third day. There are these objective facts that we, we must agree with, but it also means that you're personally trusting in your Christ. You're, you're, you're saying that He's done that for you. And you say, I, I, I trust you. I, put, I rest the full weight of my confidence, not on my morality, not on how good I am, that I'm better than others. No, I rested on Christ and what you've done. That's what it means to believe. It's not hard. You don't have to take a class. You don't have to prove anything. You can call out to God right now and trust Him. In fact, I'm just going to ask if everybody. Everybody would just kind of just close your eyes and just for a moment, and 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 you can you can cry out to Him. There's no magic formula. There's not some hocus pocus where we say the right words and that's what it means. It's just confessing to God your trust in him it's just if if you want to do this now you can just say this with me under your breath in your heart god i'm a sinner i'm perishing because of my sin but i but i know that you love me and that, that you sent your son to die in my place for my sin and i believe that jesus has done this for me i know that i can never clean up myself enough to earn eternal life I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. Save me, God. And you can you can trust him right now. You can put that in your own words. You can open your eyes. If if you decide to believe in Jesus, everything changes. And I can testify to this transformation that took on my life when I was sophomore in high school. Whole life changed. And Many else, many others can too. You will no longer be perishing. Instead, instead you'll have this new, new destiny, and that's the last word. It's this destiny. And that's a, a word that probably conjures up kind of weird ideas or something like that. But we're saying this future. you have a future. Those who believe in Jesus have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What's eternal life? It's first and foremost, it's life with Jesus, in Jesus. It's found in this personal, intimate relationship with Christ, knowing Him. John 17, verse 3, Jesus sums it up. You want to know what eternal life is? He says, This is eternal life, that you know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so, also, we see that eternal life begins now. It's not just something we just kind of keep existing and then, boom, heaven. No, it, it, it's now. It's not just future. In earlier in the Gospel of John, verse, chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, again, I solemnly tell you the truth, whoever hears My word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. Present tense. Present possession. He, he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So it's life now. begins now, if you trust in Christ. It's a quality of life now. John, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. It's a quality of life. It's an abundance of life. It's not just existing, it's this measurable uh, qualitative change. We have this life of unending joy in Christ, and it will last forever. It is eternal life it won't be interrupted by physical death yes our bodies may, our bodies will die but our souls that true part of us will live forever and one day we will have new bodies because jesus has been raised we'll have new bodies that will last forever and so john 11 verse 25 jesus says i i am the resurrection and the life here we are on easter sunday Jesus says this at the, at the resurrection of Lazarus from the I and the resurrection of the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So, so we understand the danger. You know the, you know the danger all people are born into. And so you either you're headed for it and are perishing, or you've been rescued from it. And by believing in Jesus what he's done for you and you, you you know this life of an ending joy have you received that gift of eternal life yet but I, I want to stop talking and I want to hand the microphone to Jesus for just a second I just want to read two verses of scripture things that he said and then we'll be done listen to him invite you to this life of lasting joy Are, are you? And, and I ask this are you weary today are you tired? I don't just mean you didn't sleep well last night. I mean, is your soul weary? And, and just life and the pressures of life, you're just beat down. And you hear what I'm saying. It just seems un- impossible to, to know this life of abundant, everlasting joy. Jesus says to those who are weary, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. Are you unsatisfied with life? Is there this emptiness, this gnawing emptiness in life? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, that soul hunger, that emptiness. But, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. You can know that satisfaction today. Let me pray and then we're going to sing. Father, I pray that if there is anyone here today who has not received this gift of eternal life that You promise is available to whoever believes in Christ, that today would be the day. Is there anything stopping them from trusting in You today? And if there are questions, I pray that they would feel liberty to ask with zero pressure. But Lord, Lord, work and i pray that if there's some that say yes i need i need christ i'm weary i'm tired i'm unsatisfied i'm lacking this joy my life is just up and down and living on emotion but i need this deep abiding joy this life in christ oh that set them free today lord may they trust in your son and may all of us god revel in the salvation of those who have trusted in christ revel in this work that you've done in our lives this new life we have through jesus who died and rose again. I pray in Jesus' name.